Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. I'm bringing to you a very special edition of the Culture Soup Podcast. It's coming to you in two parts. And it's in celebration of Black History Month. It's also in celebration of a bond that I have with my very special brother, John Graham Jr. Now, you probably remember him being on the show at least twice before, maybe even three times. You know that he's my frat brother. You also know that we share the same birthday. But there's something else that you need to know about the bond that I have with John Graham Jr. The year was 2018, and I just returned from L.A., Attending the premiere of the Netflix series, All About the Washingtons, on a special invitation from Rev Run Simmons and Justine Simmons. And I had a good time there, but there was something else that I wanted to do. I wanted to see my friend, Ruben Canada, who's no longer with us now, but it would be the last time that I saw him. We took scooters to Venice Beach. And it was my first time riding one of those things, scared the life out of me, weaving in and out of cars, but we made it safely. And he brought his drone with him and he was flying his drone over Venice Beach while we talked about the special project that I would begin. And that was this podcast, the Culture Soup Podcast. He was so supportive. In fact, being the IP attorney in his past, he offered to help me to get the name trademarked with the U.S. government. And he also volunteered to help me to do some test runs, test out my my technology, my video, my audio, all of that. But while we were in the conversation, he stopped in the middle and he said, you know what? I have somebody you've got to meet. He's like, I don't know why, but I just in talking to him and in talking to you, you just got to meet. And he was talking about John Graham Jr., John Graham Jr. was working at a huge pharmaceutical company at the time, an employer brand. And you know what? I followed up on what Ruben wanted us to do. In fact, he connected us over social media and the rest is history. I got on the phone with John and instantly it's like, boom, we hit it off. And not just personally. And at that point, we didn't know we shared the same birthday. It really was around ideals. And I like what he had to say because I immediately included him in one of my Black Enterprise contributions. And from there, the rest is history. It wasn't too long after that, that I let John know that I was writing a book and that I had been to New York once already to pitch it to one of the big publishers. That's when he revealed to me that he had a book too. I said, what? He'd just been sitting on it. And I said, you know what, John, you've got to put that out in the world, whatever it takes. Fast forward to the year 2020, probably towards the end of 2021, John Graham Jr. published his book, Plantation Theory. Now, I said it's in two parts. One, because we just get a little carried away. But the information in this episode is very important, not just for Black people, but for all people. It's a down and dirty conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what it takes 
for a black person to survive and thrive despite the threats against their livelihood on a daily basis. Without further ado, I introduce to you again, my friend, my frat brother, my birthday mate, John Graham Jr., diversity, equity, and inclusion expert, as well as employer brand expert. Let's get it. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited because this is a reunion of sorts. You've heard him a few times on the show talking about John Graham. He is the DNI guru and employer brand expert. And he is here to talk about his book, Plantation Theory. Hey, John. Hey, hey, what's going on? How are you? It's been a while. I mean, we've, we've been letting life happen. So here we are. I'm glad we got yeah. reconnected for sure. You know, yeah. it's interesting because um, people know that we know each other. We even call each other twin because our birthdays twin. are the same day. But That's they right. may not know that we have never, ever met in person. Person. That's right. And it doesn't take proximity to have a connection, right? But this no. is one of those one of those relationships for sure. Like my sister friend from another, another Mr. Friend, you know? Yes. <laughs> I count you as one of my close circle friends. And as you know, this show is all about El Michelle Smith and her friends. You know, it's amazing how many people try and pitch the show. And some folks I've actually turned down, but that's okay. <laughs> I've told them, let's be friends. Let's see there how you serious go. you are start about there. this, right? Yeah. Got to start yeah. with a relationship. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. If, if you don't mind, how about we have a yeah. conversation moment? Let's have it. All right. So, you know, I'm always coming to feeds, looking at social media. LinkedIn is one of those places that I hang out a lot. You hang out a lot there, too. And I have noticed, even before George Floyd, there was a mushrooming of voices when it came to speaking about equality when it came to BIPOC people in the workplace. Did you notice that? Of course, yeah. And you were one of those voices. In fact, there are a group of people, there were several groups of people, but some more prominent than others, that have this conversation. In fact, there was a New York Times article that I think you participated in at some point. And it was talking about Black LinkedIn. That's right. Yeah, Black LinkedIn is thriving. Yes, by uh, Ashanti Maya Martin, uh, friend and, and uh, voice of the people for sure. But she, she also, like you saw that wave of uh, Black voices popping up on this otherwise professional, right? And these air quotes there, network uh, platform um, where we were giving our lived experience voice uh in ways that we hadn't before and so yes i was fortunate to be featured in that new york times article yeah. with some other great voices yeah. well it was it was an awesome article and for those of the folks out there that aren't familiar with the term black linkedin maybe you should explain what is meant mm. by the term yeah so black linkedin is is black professionals leveraging linkedin to highlight the lived experiences that we uh, encounter navigating corporate or academic spaces. Um, our perspectives are oftentimes universally shared, but um, but there's a hesitance to speak them aloud for fear of repercussion. Uh, naturally, so we understand that, um, and that essentially highlights the struggle between freedom and security, right? Which is uh, the subtext of the book I wrote. But 
Uh, but yeah, Black LinkedIn is indeed thriving. Um, it continues to grow and you see more and more new voices with larger platforms get amplified. So, Well, and yeah. you know, it was refreshing to see. <laughs> it's like suddenly yeah. my people, you know, we were there all the time, but were we heard? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there was something about the power of the collective and the way the mm-hmm. algorithm works. If we're all supporting one another, those voices are elevated. You agree? To an extent, yes. Yeah. So it, it gets tricky when you talk about the algorithm because mm-hmm. even uh, you know, even within our Black LinkedIn uh, community, we'll we'll get wind of posts weeks after they've been posted. When you know we should be seeing them pop up uh, primarily in our newsfeed, and so there's still a a wave of uh, I'll say um, you know suppression of of yeah. certain topics and commentary for sure. Um, nobody will uh, obviously reveal what that algorithm is doing. And there's been denial when it's been uh, brought up with the platform. But, you know, these are the things that, that come along with it. So we find other ways to amplify. Totally. And yeah. one of those ways is writing books. I've written That's one, a one way. two. I've forgotten how many. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you, you're up there. These days, but you wrote one too. And I, I remember being in a hotel room. I don't even know where I was. And I was talking to you about the book that I was writing. In fact, I was visiting the publishers during that time. And you sprung it on me. I'm writing one, too. I was like, (laughs) shut up. Yeah. So I was like, so help. Dump it up. Do something. And you did. I did. Yeah. No, and look, you you gave me so much guidance um, that was invaluable to that journey. I mean, it's seriously, I mean, you know, being being an author um, and understanding how to represent your narrative, um, things you should think about, especially if you're self-publishing. I mean, those were critical tools to, to my success. And so I appreciate you oh, more than you so know. Sweet. For what sure. Else but, um, you do, right? <laughs> I mean, that's we're, we're obligated, right? But, yeah. but once we receive knowledge, have knowledge, it's not ours to, 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 to hoard, right? It's up to right. us to spread that. So, yeah. So I, I took that, uh, that opportunity to, um, to capture a complete thought rather than these uh, blog articles and LinkedIn posts, which were, you know, getting a lot of traction and and great response, but they were uh, disconnected, but yet somewhat connected. And I couldn't get the whole thought together. So the book was the, the, the next logical step there. So. Well, I'm glad Uh, you did it. And you call yourself a provocateur and Mm. for that, I mean, the title of the book in and of itself, draws you in or it might even repel you based on who you are mm-hmm. plantation right. theory indeed that in and of itself the it's... comparison of the plantation to corporate america and you and i yeah. have had so many conversations about yeah. that topic in and of itself but tell us the premise of plantation yeah. theory yeah for sure yeah so you know i'm a historian um I, uh, I went to the oldest degree granting HBCU in the country uh, twice uh, for my undergrad and my master's. There's a long legacy there. And as an African studies major, it was always important to understand how history connects to the modern, modern day lived experience. Tell everybody which school that is. Oh, that's the Lincoln University. There you go. 1854, yes. <laughs> uh, so, so, so it, it was important for me to take that same uh, approach uh, and, and outlook into the corporate spaces. And I always understood that what we were experiencing in a modern day um, uh, environment 
was still very much rooted in uh, the constructs of the past. They've just been updated, uh, you know, evolved branding, uh, different titles, whatever the case may be, but the structure is largely still the same. And so uh, the summer of injustice and, and George Floyd's murder sparked, uh, you know, a nationwide, worldwide conversation that in public forms hadn't happened before. And so this was an opportunity where you would hear the stories that, you know, you or I would know offline or within smaller communities uh, of Black professionals. But now they were getting spotlighted and brought to stage uh, in open forums uh, at the behest of executive leadership. And so you could hear the universality of our experiences uh, that you would assume right, an outsider would say they must have gotten together and coordinated their stories because they were so in alignment. And at that point, I realized that um, that there needed to be a conversation, especially since history, um, which is a highly contentious subject uh, today, for sure. But uh, history has not been taught um, in a way that would provide an unvarnished truth or an unvarnished perspective. And so I felt it, what better time than to com combine my background, my passion as well for history, but also my uh, years of experience in corporate to bring to light um, these uh, lived experiences and what they're founded in. That's awesome. And you know, yeah. you're right. As I continue to grow my private practice in coaching, um, executive coaching, mm -hmm. primarily individuals who are in the corporate realm with a sweet spot for women of color and especially black women, I coach everybody. In fact, I've got some men, I've got white men, I've got everybody, but my mm -hmm. heart is there for my sisters. Sure. Because of the lived experience, first of all, I am them. <laughs> but then yeah. in speaking to them over the course of the last three years, you're absolutely right. It's like plug and play. Doesn't matter who the sister is, what company she's working for, where she is in the, com in the country, what role she has, she tells the same story. That's and right it is very powerful to take that collective voice and bottle it, if you will, mm, mm, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, 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 and share it back to the community. It really resonates because we understand, we live it every day. That's right. Yeah, and, and to that point, because we live it every day and it is largely hidden from uh, a power dominant culture, um, there's a tendency to make us believe we're crazy. I mean, yeah. it's all in your head, right? It's, uh, you have all the opportunity in the world. You went to great schools. You, you have access. You live in a great neighborhood. How are you oppressed, right? <laughs> but but there's an there's a undertone and a, and a hidden or more insidious uh, reality uh, that isn't tangible in the senses of uh, objectivity and science, uh, but it very much is a real uh, experience. So I, I wanted to make sure that people knew they weren't crazy. It's right. interesting. And I, I appreciate that. The more we can have uh, more dialogue that reinforces the fact that our parents, our ancestors drilled in us that we were excellent. And then mm. when we go into these environments, that's when we actually get that psychological trauma that happens mm. to us. It has us thinking that we aren't. And so many of us have taken on the buzzword of imposter syndrome when I'm sorry, you didn't go mm. into that space thinking you were less than something happened when you went into that space. <laughs> That's right. 
your, your, the negativity to seep through your pores. That is not imposter syndrome. No, no, no. That's the construct at work, right? And 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 it's interesting you brought up uh, how how we're coded, right, mm-hmm. by by prior generations. And I, I often as, uh, associate this with like uh, an operating system and software. Yeah. Well, the operating system largely hasn't changed. There's been software updates, right? Yeah. However, however, as we look generationally, um, we've been bringing the same software, passing that software down. And at this point, newer generations are, are opting out of the operating system and cre- trying to create their own. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately, excellence was something you said. And there's this notion that we have to perform, we have to work twice as hard to receive half the credit or recognition. Yes. And the reality is that was designed to benefit those who were coded for mediocrity, mm-hmm. right? And this is where the incompatibility comes in. And, and ultimately, we've been told that our value is based on our work output. Yes. That is a carryover from plantation theory, right? Yes. And so, and so black tax. That's it. That's it. And so we carry that into a, an environment that isn't, that isn't built on leadership with that leadership isn't built on that premise let's just say that so we're we're saying we're bringing all the credentials we're bringing all the excellence we work twice as hard as our counterpart we probably we should be managing the manager that that has authority but you know and we probably trained them we trained them we we hired them better than brought them in and watched them get promoted over us but then we 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 question why that is when we're when our outputs are, are phenomenal um but then we, we weren't also given access to what the leadership qualities are. And it has nothing, very little to do with your work output and more of the intangible, the soft, the, the pedigree and all of those other things. So I highlight these things in the book because it's a conversation that I think we need to have specifically as Black professionals on what we're uh, subjecting ourselves to by opting right. in uh, and, and how we make different moves going forward that that do create, um, you know, uh, create opportunities for us to make black spaces rather than make white spaces comfortable for black folks. Right. So y'all just, if you're just joining, <laughs> if you're <laughs> way down into the, the, the uh, show and you're just catching up, this is John Graham and he's the author of Plantation Theory. And, you know, you bring up a really good point about the leadership skills. And this is, this is where I live. I, I tell people all the time, if they try and pigeonhole me as a DE&I coach, they've got it all wrong. Yeah. I do leverage the, the tenets of DE&I because, again, I have a, a sweet spot for people of color, especially women, because we've got that double disadvantage. All that to be said, these leadership tenets have not been shared with us very openly and uh, we are just now being exposed to it thanks to voices out there on LinkedIn, those who are consulting, those who are coaching and have a heart for women of color. My next book is called Yes, Please, Seven Ways to Say I'm Entitled to the C-Suite. And it's the secrets women of color need to know in order to find their happy and succeed in a corporate and exclusive co- corporate culture. Now, one of the secrets that we talk about is likability. And most people see that word as I need to be liked (laughs) when actually it means the ability to be liked doesn't mean they necessarily like you. And when it comes to how we have been 
couch with some of the tropes, angry black woman, um, you know, not strategic, all of these tropes that are assigned to black women. And we know based on talking to all sorts of black women, it's happened to all of us before that, um, it, it comes into collision with some of the stereotypes that have been placed upon us, but still we have to achieve this idea of likability. Can you talk about likability and what that really means? Cause there's some, there's some code there, right? Code is the perfect word, right? And I think, I think largely people are familiar with the term code switching, but if you're not, it is the, uh, the act of processes of modulating one's conversation, uh, appearance or, or general expression to assimilate or fit into uh, uh, the context of an audience that you're in front of. And so black folks automatically do it. We're bilingual in that sense. We speak one way when we're not at work, we speak a different way when we're at work, depending on who was around or whatever the case may be. That's one way that we have to navigate our corporate spaces. And when you get into likability, um, and there's an underlying code of politeness, um, yes. which, is, which is baked into this fabric, uh, which goes back centuries. We're talking uh, uh, old, old English etiquette, uh, specifically reserved for nobility that was you know, passed down through colonization, either way. This code of politeness is still very much entrenched in uh, power dominant culture, language, the way that they uh, speak to each other. Uh, and what you'll notice is there's a, there's an indirectness, there's an implied meaning in the language they use. And if you've ever sat in a corporate meeting and you're listening and you're saying, they're saying a lot, but they haven't said anything. Right. <laughs> and everybody seems to agree, but I'm sitting here like, yeah. well, what are you, what are you trying to say? Right. Right. <laughs> And so likability becomes the, uh, the, the process of conformity to a standard that's defined for success. Mm -hmm. And that standard doesn't necessarily look or sound like you. Right. Now, you, you can learn through osmosis or you can learn uh, by, by having been uh, pulled to the side and somebody giving you game and saying this, right? But it is a different language. And I've done uh, some very good work uh, with a friend of mine who's a doctor in psychology, Dr. Jiki Chelto, uh, who a uh, black uh, psychologist graduated with, from, from pedigreed institutions with a PhD, went to Howard undergrad. But she has blown the lid off of the fact that language is the biggest gap between the cultural realities and racial realities and how language is used. And she said something that shook me to my core when she said, black folks, professional or otherwise, have access to about 80% of English at best. There's, mm. a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a percentage reserved for yeah. those who's, who, who are in the power dominant yeah. culture. I, I get that. This is yeah. part of the reason why, you know, the, the subhead to my book is about the secrets. There's so many things that we just aren't talking about. And therefore, mm. that is language. <laughs> And I think my That's most it. recent posts this week were unraveling the ideas of calibration and succession, which are terms mm. that we just don't bounce around in middle uh, management and corporate. Someone has to yeah. introduce those words to us. That's right. And they have That's to right. tell us how to use them. Sure. Sure. Well, the, the, so it's funny because there's the defined process, right? There's what we all agree, uh, you know, on paper that's documented, but then there's the subjectivity that, co oh, yeah. that creeps in, right? And 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 the that's going to be in everything. 
the unwritten and the unspoken. Mm -hmm. And so unless you're in those rooms, those circles, how do you know? And oh, by the way, once you're in those rooms and circles, what is your ability to change those unspoken, oh, yeah. those unwritten? Well, and before we and can that, even change it, we have to understand how our culture comes into deep conflict with them. So I'll give you a great example. Yes. Your mom and daddy, somebody else's mom and daddy may have taught them that when you pull up into the garage at, you know, ABC Incorporated, whatever it might be, where they make widgets or whatever, Fortune 500 company, you dumb down your shine, beginning with the car you drive. You don't want to drive anything that's too shiny or bigger than the bosses. And when you go in, you want to kind of keep your head down, keep it low, stay out of trouble. And you definitely don't want to talk about your family outside of a picture on your desk. But when this idea of likability comes into the highest levels, of corporate. And when they start to think about succession, they start to talk to you about your family and things that are personal. And they are looking for you to open your home, which is something that we've been taught mm -hmm. to kind of shy away from the white man coming. No, you don't do that. That That is such a great point because there is a uh, an unspoken, but very real culture of concealment, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, protecting one's vulnerability so that they can't be exploited. We all know when you get into the executive circles, it's dog eat dog, right? It is very, very tenuous. And you have to navigate the relationships because everybody around you is vying for those same top spots. And there, there aren't many to go around. Yeah. So concealment, uh, not revealing any vulnerabilities that can be exploited is baked in and embedded into the culture. Now we to your point, culturally are an expressive, transparent, open, welcoming culture uh, by nature. And we've had to alter and play that game, but, but we don't do that necessarily uh, as well as the pros who, who have been doing it since they were, you know, babies. This concludes part one of our special Black History Month episode with John Graham Jr., author of The Plantation Theory. Isn't it good? We'll be back week after next with part two. In the meantime, I'm reminded because my story about Reuben Canada introducing me to John Graham reminds me of the stark and heartrending reality that more Black people are, are taking their lives. It's not historically a part of our culture, but more and more it's becoming more common. Um, two weeks ago, we were reminded of this when 2019 Miss USA and boundary breaker Chesley Christ took her life. I followed her on TikTok, saw her videos every day. I didn't know her, but it felt like I knew her. Listen, if you're suffering in silence, please reach out to someone. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, call the National Suicide Hotline. The number is 800-273-8255. You are loved, you are valuable, you are God's daughter and God's son. We love you no matter who you are and know that we want you here. I'll see you next time. Follow us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next time. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC.
The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.